Welcome to the East Memorial Ministries podcast. This podcast is the central hub for all audio publications of East Memorial Baptist Church out of Prattville, Alabama. So grab a pen, paper, and your copy of God's Word, and let's study God's truth together. We are in 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. That's where we started last week, and we didn't really get to finish. I don't know if you remember, but as as usual, I didn't get to finish. Uh, so I, th- I thought we'd pick back up in the first few verses this morning. And I want to get us through verse 5 today because verse 6 is a completely different topic. Uh, even though they all flow and go together, it's a pastoral um, commendation here. And then he gets into more of a, a, little, bit of, a little bit harder in verse 6. Um, he's closing it out and he's kind of giving them an appeal of a pastor uh, to a very good church, a very faithful church. Um, but we're going to get into that starting next week. Um, he even gets into uh, uh, what we used to credit John Smith for saying, you know, if you don't work, you don't eat. Uh, he gets into that in this, in this chapter, which you've heard before and studied, I'm sure. Uh, but that's later on. That'll be a few weeks from now. But I just want to encourage you to be studying in the Word. And I asked you last week to go ahead and be looking through the first few verses of this chapter. And I hope that you were able to do that this week. Um, there's a lot of stuff here, a lot of good nuggets and it's a really comforting few verses, which is nice because we've just come off the Antichrist and, and talking about end, end times. And so uh, just the fear that sometimes we, we can have or people will have in the unknown, it's nice to be able to just rest and trust in the faithfulness of God. And that's what Paul kind of realigns us to. He brings us constantly, bringing us back to remembering what we're here for, remember what he's established us in, the strength that he has asked us to pray for and now given and granting. So it's wonderful, wonderful news, okay? Um, so with that said, in the first few verses of Second Thessalonians, we see, verse 1, he says, Finally, brethren, somebody's looking for their phone. Did y'all find it? Anyways, finally, brethren, I recognize that sound because my wife does it all the time because she's constantly losing her phone, so, right? <laughs> okay, here we go. Paul's writing in, in through, through the inspiration of God here, verse 1. Finally, brethren, pray for us that the word of the Lord will spread rapidly and be glorified, just as it did also with you. He says in verse 2, and that we will be rescued from perverse and evil men. And then he says, for not all have faith. So we talked a good bit last week about, we talked about the word being prayed for, to be, not only just to be spread, but to spread rapidly like wildfire. And then um, he says in verse 2, rescuing from the perverse and evil men. We talked a little bit there towards the end about he's not praying for, um, you know, just the, the peace that comes from, like, a, or that comes with persecution or comes in, as opposed to persecution. He's talking about just that he can be preserved. So he's talking about preservation, that the messenger can be safe to continue carrying out the message, all right? So in verse three, where we'll pick up today, he says, but the Lord is faithful he, and he will strengthen and protect you from the evil one. Again, the Lord is faithful. Verse four, he says, we have confidence in the Lord concerning you that you are doing and will continue to do what we command. Okay, so verse three, again, the Lord is faithful. He carries this over in verse four, confidence. Understanding the basic principle of God's faithfulness produces a confidence in the believer. And so that would be it in a two-minute devotional. But there's so much more here. 
that I want to unpack this morning of the faithfulness of God. Now, if you have a MacArthur Study Bible, you'll see in the footnote, and uh, I would encourage you, if you're looking for a study Bible, by the way, uh, you can't go wrong with getting the MacArthur Study Bible. He stays faithful and true to the text. He, he teaches Scripture with Scripture. And so what you're going to see in his footnotes is not his personal opinions. Um, you're going to see in the footnotes other Scripture passages to go and look up. Uh, and see. There's also Thompson Chain reference Bibles that are really good uh, if you would like to see the chain of reference. Like if you see a word in a verse, where is that word used in other parts of the scriptures? Um, there's other books. I was going to bring one today. And I think I left it in my truck. But there's other books that are out there that will help guide you, like a systematic theology, but even with scripture, just scripture. So you go through, you look at the the theology or uh, even the topics, and you can see where those scripture passages are used within context. I say that to say, John MacArthur writes a very good note on this verse, verse 3, in his um, commentary, in his uh, uh, Bible study Bible. And I'm going to get to that in a moment where he talks about the faithfulness of God and the promises of God. Um, but we're not, we'll look at that in a minute. And I'm going to walk through what MacArthur has laid out there because he does it better than um, anybody else that I was reading this week. But the faithfulness of God, um, you know, He's faithful to his promises. And I think this is hard for us as human beings to understand true, genuine faithfulness because we are depraved and we live in a society of depravity. We live in a society of people who don't know how to genuinely be faithful and true. And that's, that starts with us. Um, good intentions and actions are separate and they're different. Uh, I think everybody who's born again, a believer, desires genuinely to be true. Every word that's, that comes out of their mouth to be true and accurate and faithful. I don't think anybody in here, um, if you're truly a child of God, desires to fool anybody or hoodwink anyone. Now, we all occasionally like to build ourselves up to be bigger than we really are, better than we really are. And that's something that we have to fight. That's a temptation that we have to fight. Um... There is a genuineness, a realness about believers that is um, very effective. And God calls us to that through the working of the Holy Spirit to open up the dark closet doors and to be real with people. Because we can't genuinely have ministry with people if we are perfect and we can't relate to them, okay? Um, there's a, I was, we talked a little bit last week and some of you raised your hand talking about preacher's kids. Um, and just pastors, ministers, ministries. Uh, it's because Paul starts this chapter out by asking them to pray for him. And in so doing, sometimes we, we put pastors or even just people that we respect on a pedestal. And um, we expect them to be completely perfect. And uh, there has been, you know, times growing up, especially growing up, where our family would be invited to someone's home, and it was just awkward. It was weird. I almost, as a child, didn't even want to be invited to people's homes because... It's, that, it's the same feeling that I get as a chaplain when I walk into the maintenance shop and everybody's like, oh, oh the chaplain's here. Uh, you know, hey, watch your mouth, man. The chaplain's in the room. Yeah. You know, it's just this awkward feeling. And I, we would get that even as a, as a child. I would get that going into uh, some church members' homes where you felt like they spent all week cleaning their home, you know, for you. And it's like you want to be like, oh, that's really nice. But you hate that they went through all that work because you know that you're a burden on them at that point. Like just them inviting you to their space was a burden because of all the work that, that went into 
of that. And the only reason I knew that, because kids talk, right? And so, <laughs> you know, kids would say, man, it took all week long we had to clean our house for y'all to come over. And it's like, oh, man, my mom and dad hated that. So they, they felt like it was a burden for people to invite them to their homes. Um, because of that. That's just one example. We don't just do that with ministers. We, we like, sometimes we do that with anybody, you know. Um, I like, you know, I, I like just the real and genuine aspect of, you know, just entering into people's space. Um, and, uh, and I know that's a little countercultural to some. But I think there's a, there's a real Christian brotherhood and sisterhood uh, in that. Where we can just be real. And we can actually be willing and available at any given moment to be... Um, um, faithful in that uh, community, you could call it, uh, of Christian believers. That is something that we don't really know very well. We really do have to study and really strive to learn this idea of faithfulness, understanding that we aren't truly faithful and true, but that we have a Savior and a God who is completely faithful and true. So, in our category, we know how we think and we like to put God in that box. We have to get him out of that. God is, God is more faithful than the most faithful one that you can imagine. Um, my dad, I mean, I, I've never known him not to be who he is. I can honestly say I grew up in a, in a father's home who was the same in the church as he was at home. Um, he, my dad's always had a little bit of a flared temper. I mean, he can, all, he can get there really quickly. He's pretty meek and mild. Most meek and mild men, by the way, um, have a little bit of a, there's a break point, right? And so you can see that and you're like, whoa, I didn't know that that person could be that way. Uh, we all have it, all right? And so, uh, it, so my dad was like that, but he also did that in the church. And so it wasn't like they didn't ever see that. There was a moment, there was a point where you could just see, it was like the red was creeping up or he would, he would, he had a sign. I knew it. Um, if his tongue ever went to his teeth, you knew. It's like, oh, he's biting his tongue. Y'all better shut your mouth, you know? Like, kids, run, you know, hide. Um, because his, he, he was doing his little sign. It was, it was a break point for him. I can honestly say, though, he was genuine and true. It doesn't mean he was perfect because he had his faults, falsehoods, I mean, his, his uh, problems, his issues, uh, sin. But he was true. It wasn't like he turned on something and then turned it off. Um, and there are some that, didn't grow up in a home like that. Um, and so I, I'm very, very blessed in that regard. And I can say the same thing about our pastor. I live with him now. <laughs> and uh, he is the same as you see him here. Um, now he does have his down moments. Uh, but that's with anybody. What I'm saying, all of this to say, we don't completely and fully understand someone who is completely faithful and completely true. Even the most faithful person God is more faithful than that because it's consistent. His, if it comes out of his mouth, it will take place. Um, and he doesn't change his mind. There is no emotional uh, feeling that goes with uh, a, 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 a decision. And we all, we don't understand that um, because we all have those emotional uh, pulls on us that may turn us. And that's why we have to be focused and stayed on the word of God to keep us grounded in the faithful one because it keeps us faithful. So he is faithful to his promises and it is the Lord who cannot lie. It is he who will not alter the thing that comes out of his mouth. There's some things that we can glean from this faithfulness and that's what I wanna do right now before we get into more of, the, of what he's faithful in. But there's some things that we can... Um, expect 
from the grace of God and his faithfulness. And the first is this it's establishment. It's establishment. It's roots. It's groundedness. Um, and then the second would be preservation from evil. Paul gives us these things. Um, in verse 3, he says, The Lord is faithful, and he will, this is directly to us, he will strengthen and protect you, specifically from the evil one. All right, we've been talking about the evil one. We've been talking about those of, used of Satan, the Antichrists, and the Antichrist. And so he says he will strengthen you. He will establish you. That's establishment, strength, fortitude. And then he will protect. So in, in thinking of this establishment, this um, strengthening, um, Paul here is praying for something that he has already asked them to pray for. At the end of verse, chapter 2, verse 17, you see at the, the uh, verse 16 and 17, he says, Now may our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who has loved us and given us eternal comfort and good hope by grace, comfort and strengthen you. He's praying that God will comfort and strengthen their hearts in every good work. And then in verse 3 of the next chapter, he is saying God is faithful and he will strengthen you. He's not just praying for strength. He's saying he will do this. He already has done this and he will continue so. And so what Paul is praying for in chapter 2 verse 17, he now encourages them to expect. And that is establishment strength all right the what encouragement do we have to depend upon the grace of god we, we understand that there's good to expe be expected that's establishment preservation but then there's encouragement that we can depend upon in this grace and and i would say that the best christians the best christians stand in need of the benefit of the grace of god encouragement paul the best we talked about this last week probably the most studious, the most learned. He, he still needed encouragement and, and, and he begs for it in verse one. Pray for us, pray for us. Keep us on your mind, keep us in your journals, keep us before the throne room. Let's meet there together and worship and keep us. And he, and he, and he gives break and he's not he's talking about health. Again, he's not talking about uh, from protection of persecution, but he's praying for safety in the delivery, preservation for the message. And he's talking about the message itself to be spread rapidly. So it's all God. It's all godly. It's things that only come from a regurgitation from the word of God. The strengthening and establishment that we gain, not from ourselves, because we've already established we're not faithful and true, but the word is. And so Paul, gleaning from the scriptures, from his time with the Lord, he recognizes he needs his family. He needs his faith family. He needs them. And he's begging them to pray on his behalf, not for his health, not for his protection, but his, for his preservation and for the message of God to spread rapidly, just like it did with them. And so he needs that encouragement. And if Paul needs that encouragement, then the best of Christians today need this benefit. They need the encouragement of the grace of God. Psalm 17, verse 5 we're gonna, I'm going to have you turn a lot in a minute, minute, but you don't have to turn here. But Psalm 17, verse 5 says, We stand no longer than God holds us up unless he holds us up, unless he holds up our goings in his paths. Our feet will slide and we shall fall. So we only are able to stand because God holds us. Now, in Psalm 17, the psalmist, this is a really great uh, psalm, by the way, but... Um, 
It is a complete reliance on God and understanding who is holding. Because I don't know if you're like me, but there's so many times that I can get pompous or pious um, in something that I'm learning. I feel like I finally feel like I figured something out. And I can easily go home and preach that to uh, my wife and my children um, and feel pretty good. But then immediately my right foot slips and I'm sliding down the slope because in my mind, I'm holding myself up. It's that age-old problem of even like one day's bad, the next day's good. And then you compare your good days to your bad days. And you think that you're more unrighteous on the days that you're, that you're having a bad day than on your good day. But the problem is we're completely unrighteous every day. Um, even on our best days, we are still wretched and in need of God's grace. And so we can't compare our bad to our good. We always have to compare to the Father, the faithful one, the, the word of God. That has to be our, our establishment. It can't be how we were months ago when we felt closest to God. You know, I, I remember even a couple years ago, still holding on to uh, about a month of time in my college years when I felt the closest to God. And I, I've shared this before. Maybe it was in a book study, but I've shared this. It was like a mountaintop experience. And no, I don't believe in um, God. God didn't give me a message and I'm gonna write it and we're gonna start following the, the message of Jeremy. Uh, it was no, no audible voice or anything. I just felt close. I don't know how to explain it. Uh, I was very studious, studying all the time. I was preparing for a mission trip to Rwanda and um, just very emotional in studying about those, those people and what they've gone through. And, um, and I remember walking around in nature on top of this mountain at a retreat. And I remember thinking, I've never felt more close to God. The stars were just, they felt like you could just reach out and touch them. And I've, I, I, so many times I would go back to that experience, right? And that's what, I was, that's what I was like trying to get back to. It was like this higher level of, of, of some sort of uh, feeling that I had. And I realized that that's, that's a wrong thinking. Um, you're gonna ha- we're going to have ups and downs. We can't compare our downs to our best days because even our best days are not good. <laughs> um, we have to constantly compare our walk with the Savior who was perfect. We have to be constantly studying the Word of God and following people like Paul, who, st- who yeah, he wasn't perfect, but was faithful and proved to be so. So that was Psalm 17, realizing who's holding us up lest we fall. But then Psalm 16, verse one says, we say, um, like King David does, preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. So like Paul is praying for there, asking them to pray for him and the encouragement of the preservation. We, like David in Psalm 16, we, we ask for preservation. Preserve me. I take refuge in you and no other. I don't take refuge in anything else, any comfort this world has to offer, but only in God. So perseverance for us to run faithfully is what Paul is praying for and what we should be praying for. So it's, it's encouragement that we need from believers to pray for one another and not just for health and well-being, but that Russ, starting, um, you call them afternoons or nights. What are you about to start next week? Nights. That Russ, in the nights, that he so loves so much. That, God, that, that not just that Russ will, you know, work his way up and be, you know, um, the golden child to management and I don't know, whatever you want to pray for, but that Russ will be a messenger at night, at Hyundai, in a place where he may not even get to communicate other than in the break times. 
but that Russ will be a messenger. See, we pray for one another in that regard. It's a, it's a different way of thinking. Praying for his family as he's gone constantly. Now, in that thought, that's the good that we expect from God, the establishment, the preservation. We expect encouragement. We need encouragement, and we glean that from the grace of God. But then also, we have a hope. We have a hope that we get and depend upon from the grace of God. And that is protection in verse 3. We have this hope. And, and it is like what we just read in Psalm 16.1. It's a, it's a refuge in God. It's, um, it's a hope of protection Again, not from health or persecution, but for preservation. God's message, it will go forth, but it will go forth from the faithful ones. I want to be faithful. I want to be found faithful. So God, preserve me, use me, um, help me to recall to mind what I have learned, not for my uh, piety, not for my, um, uh, to feel good at night when I lay down, that I am finally have achieved some sort of level of knowledge that I've always wanted, but that God will use me to help other people and so there is this protection in verse 3 that we see the Lord is faithful he will strengthen and establish you he will protect you from the evil one I don't know if you think of it in terms like this but um, we like to see all the good in the world and, and that's 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 good but we also need to see that the world is evil it's a dark dark place um, and it's not just on Halloween that it's dark it, it's dark all the time and I think we cozy up so much to the world and its goods that we forget that this world is what we actually need protection from. It's evil. It's dark. And so in praying for protection from the evil one, we're talking about prayer from the protection of the domain of darkness, the prince of the power of the air, who is Satan. And we need protection from that. None of us are completely fortified on our own we have to constantly be in the word be in prayer and 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 putting on the armor of god from ephesians and so this is a uh, a, a prayer for protection a hope of protection that will be given but there is a human responsibility in the outworking of our sanctification with the holy spirit it's a hope that we must depend upon and, and it's a wonderful encouragement now Paul had confidence in this church. You see this. I mean, he, he starts out in uh, verse four. We have confidence in the Lord concerning you. I mean, that's a wonderful commendation by a pastor. He has confidence in them. There's been nothing from this church that he has felt um, that, were, that was heretical. Now, he's addressed some things. Just like I said to you a few months ago, there's always things that we can work on. There's still more that we can do. And so Paul gets into that still more in the next portion of this chapter. Even though he says in verse four, we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, you're about to see that, well, how does he have that much confidence when he's about to break down? There's clearly some people in this church not wanting to work. Freeloaders. There's clearly people in this church who are not necessarily following the example of Paul or Timothy or uh, Barnabas, but that they're kind of falling into some old, undisciplined manners. And so he, um, he addresses these things as a pastor should. Um, and, and I think it's important for us to look at that. Not saying that anyone that doesn't, that can't work, uh, and we'll get into this in a few months, is, um, should be put out of the church. But Paul goes so far to say that those who can work and choose not to, 
should not be pampered and, pro- and, and, and played around with by people in the church. They should be put out like an outsider, like a lost person, and basically told to wake up. Be a man, be a woman for God. Stop relying on everybody else. Um, th- there are people who need help, and, and that's not, Paul's not saying don't help people, okay, at all. But he is, he gets into a, an area that is gray for a lot of people and a lot of churches. We'll get into that in the next few weeks. But he is, even in his confidence, addressing some very specific things that he's heard from this church. And that is what a pastor does. It's still pastoral. It's still encouraging. Now, he has confidence in them because he has confidence in the Lord. You see that in verse 4? It's not because he thinks that they are smarter or better or have arrived. They, they've listened so well to his preaching that they're just you know, such a good congregation on their own. No, it's, he gives credit to the Lord, and you see that very quickly. We have confidence it's not, he doesn't go in you because of the Lord. He says, we have confidence in the Lord concerning you. So he has confidence not in them, ultimately. He has confidence in the Lord concerning this church because he knows that they're true and genuine. He's not talking about their good works. He's not talking about their acts of, of goodness and righteousness. He's not talking about the points of the law that they're keeping. He is talking about what he's just mentioned, the establishment and the strength given to them only by the Lord. And he knows that they are getting established in strength from the Lord because they are genuine in their faith. He knows that they're believers. And so because of the, their believers and who grants salvation? The faithful one, God. So because God has given them salvation, he knows that God is holding them. And because God has them, he has confidence in the Lord because... Uh, uh, are in them because of the Lord. Because he knows God is the one that has them. And he knows that they're faithful and true because they've proven to be so. And so there is this church that he has confidence in, which makes you wonder, was this ever a church that was the sole purpose? It's meeting house, the worship times, for the sole purpose of evangelism? And the answer would be no. The church was genuine people that were believers in Christ. This, this, these were a gathering of the saints. He's talking to the church, the called out ones, the ones who have been called out for a specific purpose. And he is talking to them who are brothers and sisters in sanctification with him. He's not speaking to a church mixed with unbelievers and believers. Now, there are people that would come into these churches and we see that in Revelation that these churches even... The, uh, the churches later on um, that, that John is addressing in Revelation, some of them fell away. Some of them are, were no longer in existence. And then some of them were faithful and true. And so he speaks to a church who he knows is faithful because of God's faithfulness, because God has strengthened and established them. He's not speaking to the modern day American church in this regard. Even our church um, even my dad's church of 75 people, there are people who go out from us because they never were. And it doesn't mean that anybody who leaves our church to go to another church never was a Christian. I'm not talking about that. I'm talking about people who fall away. They completely walk away, but yet they used to serve. Um, they used to say the right things. Some used to even teach. That, that is what we constantly have to fight against so many times and i've heard brother glenn say this that the 
church has been attacked from the inside more so than the outside because the wolves are in the house. We've allowed them in. We've called them sheep. And um, then we try to let them play the game and then we elevate them to leadership. And then it's just a dangerous, dangerous slope. And it's not a church. Those churches become liberal and they hire pastors who are going to be about an agenda. Not about teaching the word of God faithfully, but about teaching how to live in this world and reach people in this world with a very weak, watered-down gospel. Cheap grace. All for the means of gathering more people, having a bigger church, bigger congregation, to do more missional things, but yet with a weak gospel and converting none. Maybe a handful. But those people don't generally stay in that type of setting. I don't think our church is perfect. I don't think there's any church is perfect. There's so much that um, because of our establishment back in the 80s, we were a church plant of First Baptist. Some people may not even know that. Um, we were east of Memorial Drive, and it was a land donated by a church member. And... Um, they built on Sheila Boulevard. And that church started out with people from First Baptist who came over. And I think it was roughly 100 or so folks. And it was a very um, tumultuous church. Uh, Brother Glenn, I think, was the, maybe the third pastor, but the seventh minister here. There was a lot of fill-ins. Um, the pastor before him actually died. And his last message title was, If This Were My Last Message. Um, something along that line. Uh, we've got the cassette tape here. It's really interesting. Um, he was a, what, I, what we've heard, a very faithful pastor, completely different than Glenn. Uh, he used to stand up there with a guitar and actually lead, you know, uh, music and singing. And um, I think he was very pastorally, very uh, caring and loving. I don't know if his preaching was, um, I don't know if he spent as much time in his preparation for preaching as he did for pastoral care, but he was a very good pastoral care pastor. Again, I don't even know the guy, but I've heard a lot of stories about people in the congregation telling me about him. Glenn comes in to a church that lost a pastor, already had elevated uh, deacon board. Deacons ran the church. Um, in fact, the businessmen of the church ran the church. And so when Glenn comes in to this situation, he's been trained, deacons don't run the church, the elders do in the sense that the called pastors of the church are the ones who do be leading the church. Deacons, who may or may not even be Christians, and at this point there was some that weren't, aren't to be leading. And there was a, about 40-something committees at this church for about 200 people. That's a, that's a lot of committees. There was a committee on baptism towels. Um, you can, we've got all that list in here. You can read every one of them. It's pretty interesting. In fact, there was a fight over baptism towels because the youth pastor used to show up after working out and he would use one of the baptism towels. <laughs> and uh, the committee didn't like that, so there was an argument that was documented in one of the notes in one of the nasty deacon meetings that was had. Well, Glenn comes, and within two years of his pastorate, um, basically blew up every committee minus three, which we still have two of them, trustees and personnel. And... Um, uh, that was tumultuous, as you can imagine. But Glenn didn't care. And so you had to have a personality like that who came in, and he lovingly did it, but he was very much like, this is the, what the Word of God says. 
when he first came, there was a deacons meeting and he wasn't invited. Um, and he said, I'm the pastor. I'm the, I'm the honorary chair of every meeting in this church. And they were like, no, 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 we don't do that here. And he was like, I don't like it or not. I'll be at the meeting. <laughs> uh, he said, I may not have a vote, but I will be at the meeting. Um, uh, but there was a lot of t uh, tumult there, I guess you could say. Well, God blessed in a sense that those people didn't stay. A lot of times those people are like, by God, this is my church and we're gonna stay here and we're gonna make your life miserable. A lot of these church people just left. But what happened, I'm giving you a just quick brief rundown because this is in explaining why, who why our church is the way it is and where we need to go. We still have a long ways to go, um, just like our sanctification personally. But uh, within the first few years after doing that, the church started to dip in uh, attendance, as you can imagine. But then within a few months to a year, the church started growing exponentially. Um, a lot of that was the model, and it was more music-driven. Now, Brother Glenn's always been a, a hard preacher, so it's always been about the preaching of the Word. But there was an emphasis in the music, and so um, we had a music minister, Steve Moore, who was very good at pulling, pulling musicians together, getting a choir going. He really was the one who helped get all that established um, there was some sin that came up there and um, he, was at, he was dismissed over a period of time. Then our youth minister at the time became the music minister and he was um, a stage person. The guy was really good on stage. He was also a really good youth pastor, Abigail's favorite. Um, and, uh, but he went and went to a bigger church um, in Georgia. He's still at that church. Um, well, after that, there was a, a few fill-ins um, but then there was a few more music ministers. All have been godly men. Um, but the church was growing exceedingly. And at the time, it seemed like such a wonderful spiritual experience. East Memorial is just flying high. And I remember growing up at a small church and hearing about East Memorial. It was like, man, I wish I could have a youth group like that. They're taking Greyhound buses to camp, you know? And uh, I remember being on the outside thinking, man, that's, and Russ, you remember that too. You were on the outside a little bit too. And uh, it just feeling like, man, Eastern World's got it going on. And this is, I wish I could be at that church. My dad probably hated the name Eastern World <laughs> because I talked about it all the time. And, uh, and um, but the church seemed to be so healthy and vibrant. But what was happening during that time is there were what we see happening here or what we have seen happen here over the last 15 years is people leaving their churches in groups and coming to East Memorial. So it would be a chunk, and you can go and look at the membership roles. There would be four or five families joining every Sunday. And they were coming from specific churches. So you would have, and no wonder churches around here didn't like East Memorial for a long time, because you would have 20 members from Kusada Baptist come and join within a month's time at East Memorial. You would have Glenwood. It's like we're draining. But the problem is, who leaves churches for the most part? Disgruntled. Now, some of y'all may have come here from another church. I'm not saying that was you. Uh, you. Maybe you just didn't have, maybe you just felt there wasn't a comfort. You liked Brother Glenn's style. There is all of that. There's nothing wrong with that. However, uh, for the majority of it, out of the 200 members from when he came dipped into the hundreds and then exploded to 1,200 over the course of, I don't know, six, seven years. Um, the majority of those people were disgruntled when they came, happy, but then the same issues that they had at other churches then arose there. 
A lot of wealthy people uh, came at a certain point, but then when they found out that Glenn isn't turned by wealth, you see, Glenn's parents had money. He, he didn't care about that. People come into him saying, hey, I'll donate $100,000 for this. We don't need that. We'll, $100,000 would be great for the ministry, but we don't need it for that. Wealthy people didn't like that. And so <laughs> they, would, they would leave, right? They wanted to have influence. Um, but Glenn wasn't driven by any of that. So then there was an, the start of the academy um, in the late 90s. The talks of it happened. Um, I think in 2003 was the first year it opened. Um, and because I was a senior in high school that year, and my sister went. And half of Victory Baptist School left and went to EMCA. And Vic Victory didn't like Eastern <laughs> I can tell you that right now. Um, and so they had the academy. And then you had the building projects, right? And so we are now very Southern Baptist-minded. Brother Glenn's still preaching faithful and true. But at some point in time in the late 90s, Glenn went to an Expositors Institute at MacArthur's church. And um, was there, it wasn't a shepherd's conference, it was like 10 pastors that were accepted into this program. And they went to MacArthur's home, they studied with him, they did some things at the church with elders, and uh, such a beneficial time that he came back and he looked at his congregation and he looked at the method and all of the, just all of the um, programs, we were program driven, pastors for everything. And he thought, I can't continue to function in this way. Um, I'm chasing something that is not all of God. Uh, I'm, I'm trying to say that the Lord builds his church, but I'm doing, we're doing things to help God in building the church. And so it was at that point, and some people have blamed him, even on staff, that you lost your evangelism focus. You did this. And so it, and they can give a, there was some people on staff at that time, there's a specific turn where you started going to that shepherd's conference and stopped going to that First Baptist Jacksonville conference, and everything started changing around here. And, um, and, and Glenn can just say, I've, I've grown. I understand that the church needs to look different. And so from that point on, starting in about 99 to 2001, instead of it going up, it started to be a leaky bucket. All right? And so to other people, some very good people seeing that, we're like, oh, well, those were good people and they left. There must be some serious issues. And so then they would just leave. Where were they going? Well, they're flocking back to either the churches they came from or there was a church startup in 2009 um, that 100 or so people went straight to. That was Centerpoint. Um, and I was here for that as the youth pastor. I inherited 120 students in the youth ministry. And within the first year, it was like 85 and uh, I remember Mark telling me, dude, it's not you, brother. Don't worry about it. You just be faithful and true. The Lord is doing something here. It doesn't look good on the surface, but it's good. Just let it happen. Let's ride through this. All that to say, here we are in 2021, <laughs> about to be 2022. And I feel in my heart that, that God has brought us through um, a lot of man-made stuff. A lot of Southern Baptist cultural stuff, Southern, just Southern USA stuff, the Bible Belt stuff. And we have tried to be more focused, as Glenn has always been, on the word and the functionality of a church that is simple. And so Glenn went from being 
50 program driven, 18 people on staff ministerially to very simple church. Um, and and I, don't, I don't, there's nothing wrong with that. I mean, there's some things that we can build off of a foundation. And honestly, I believe COVID was very, very good in some things. Year, I don't mean COVID itself, the actual the sickness and <laughs> disease. I'm talking about the actual, what it did for our church. It stripped it even more of anything else that was maybe just on the fringes or still going back, hearkening back to the old. And it allowed us to refocus and reframe. And it even weeded out some more people. Not that I desire that. Don't, don't hear me wrong. But it's hard. It's hard to have a faithful and true church when a majority of it is people who aren't genuine believers. So no, we don't want the church to die off in numbers, but yet we want the, the Lord to completely have his will and way with this church because it's his and we want him to grow it. And so when we say grow, we don't mean numerically, we mean spiritually. Um, there are some things that we need and, and, and should do as a church um, that we can do even with the more help that we have. Um, there are ministries within the church that obviously still need help. Um, things that aren't necessarily biblically mandated like greeters, nursery workers. Um, you're not going to find that in the Bible to have that in a church, but obviously it helps the function and flow of a God, uh, godly church. Brad heads up our greeting team and ministry and has for a number of years. Um, and, and really the goal of that is not to make everybody feel so good when they walk in the door. You know, it's just to be a friendly face, an intentional, friendly face. It's not to put on airs. He doesn't necessarily do trainings. However, there are some things that we must train in, and that's knowing the word of God and knowing how to point people to Jesus. The, all this stuff, man, just be real, right? Honestly, we should all be greeters, but they're specific greeters. Then nursery workers, there's debate. Some people don't believe we should even have a nursery. I'm, a, I'm not opposed to having children, all the children in the worship service. You say, oh, that would be distracting. I live in a house full of kids. I can tune it out quickly. Um, I really can. Um, just, yeah, train them. That's right. Train them to, to sit there and learn. I did that. I mean, growing up, we did have some things that the kids would go to. But, I mean, I remember at a very early age, uh, we've had people leave our church in the past because there wasn't enough children's stuff for them um, because they didn't people honestly don't think their children can learn that fast. And I think the opposite is true. They learn faster than we do. Um, I have family devotions with my children and I'm blown away. We're blo me and Abigail both are just blown away by some of the things that they retain and, and, and automatically know. Uh, every uh, Wednesday, I'm sorry I'm going long here and if y'all need to go, you can, but every Wednesday there's a thing called Witness Wednesday on Todd Frill's uh, podcast. And my boys love Witness Wednesday. We listen to it on Thursdays. Um, but love it, love it, love it. I mean, they just can't wait. And they will listen to every bit. And what I do is we'll listen and I'll pause. And I'll say, okay, what, what do you think? Before they give an answer, because uh, my, boys, <laughs> my boys are funny. Uh, Todd will ask, um, what does it mean to be a Christian? And uh, they'll say some things. Preston goes, nope, they didn't say repent. Nope, they didn't use, you know. And, uh, and it's, it's all pause. And I'm like, well, let's talk about that. Let's unpack what they're saying. Uh, and so you'll be amazed at what your children can understand 
a lot of times it's, it's even faster and broader than you. Um, we have to really <laughs> stop and think and study where they can just, they can get it and click on. Now, some of it may come to their remembrance later. Some of the foundational things you're teaching them now may not quite be developed, but later it'll be like, oh my goodness, this makes sense. This is clicking. The theologies that I've been learning and singing about and studying and memorizing, it now makes sense. So I don't, don't dumb it down. If you're looking for devotions for your family, don't look for little kitty devotions. Please don't do that. Uh, if it isn't meaningful to you, it's not meaningful to them. Um, um, so just open the word and read it. Right now, I'll just tell you what we're doing as a family. And we've done so many different things um, and continue to do so. But we've been walking through Psalm 23 for a number of weeks now. I mean, my kids already had it memorized before we even started because of Awana. Actually, it was because of the Turners in Children's Choir a few years ago. So they already had, had it memorized. And so we just break it down. I mean, verse by verse, word by word. And we're just, just like I would do in here. And they're, even Macy, sometimes I have to, you know, but they're, they're all into it. And so I don't want them just to memorize stuff. I want them to understand it and, and, and know it. And so the same, same, same with us, y'all. We just, I want to encourage you to be faithful and true, but that's only in relying on the faithful and true one. Okay, uh, we didn't get into the promises uh, or the faithful uh, aspects of God in promises and His promises and His creation and salvation. But if you have a John MacArthur footnote, he explains it and gives you scriptures to look at. I encourage you to do that. Okay, um, again, like I said, this was a this is wonderful for us to glean on. But next week we will start more of the unfaithful areas that we we even need to work on. And so we'll see that starting next week. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for your love for us and I thank you for this um, smaller part of our faith family. And God, I know that we desire to be faithful and true. God, you've promised us to establish us, to strengthen us. You've promised to, um, Father, protect us from the evil one. You've, you've promised that, God, you will um, uh, give us this courage and hope. And this hope comes from you. Uh, even in each other, as we have grown together, we've learned to rely on one another in areas of our life. We know that it's not because we are faithful, but it's because you are and you hold us. And so we're only as faithful as you are to hold us up, which the Bible says is as, is, as accurate and as true. It's, it's constant. But God, we know that our study of the word and prayer and time with you is where we grow so may we direct our families in the way of righteousness. May we constantly love and study your word. And Father, may our church, even in its sanctification, be drawn to holiness and righteousness. Not in a condemning fashion, but in love. Reaching out to people who are living in sin or who are tempted by the snares of Satan in the world and the worldly goods. Help us to constantly help each other and, and to grow with each other and to fellowship and commune with one another. We love you and we thank you for this time together today. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. We are glad you joined us today. If you have any questions about what was discussed on today's podcast, send us a message on Facebook. Email us at info at eastmemorial.org or call our church office at 334-365-7500. Thanks for listening.